welcome to the Imagineer Podcast, your unofficial guide to all things Disney. I'm your host, Matthew Krull, and you're listening to a special bonus episode of the Imagineer Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to continue our discussion from last week with veteran Walt Disney Imagineer Theron Skies. Theron and I had such a great in-depth conversation that the two of us wanted to connect again for an Instagram Live on Instagram at Imagineer Podcast, where we answered, and I should say Theron really answered, a number of questions taken from you, the listener, and anyone else who might have participated in the Instagram Live discussion. Believe it or not, the subjects that we covered are almost completely different from the ones we talked about in our official Imagineer podcast interview. So I think this should be a really great way to bookend the last discussion with another fantastic round of questions for Theron. Some really interesting things we talk about, a little bit more about area music at Disney. We discussed how to overcome constructive criticism in a creative discipline, talked about working at Imagineering as a leader, talked a little bit more about Disney Springs and how Theron helped bring that project to life, and a few blue sky ideas that Theron had, and one in particular that he worked on or helped to develop with Imagineer uh, Jason Sorrell. So it was a really great discussion, and I think you'll all find the content of this discussion to be incredibly interesting. I certainly did uh, when we talked uh, on our Instagram Live. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all your favorite social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of this show. So grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this special bonus episode of the Imagineer podcast. Hello, everybody, and happy... What is today? Today's Thursday. Happy Thursday. Hope you're all having an awesome day, whatever you're doing. We have what I think is probably our most exciting uh, Instagram Live that we've done before. So I wanted to make sure to uh, to pop on and say hello first. Uh, I definitely want to take a moment to introduce our our special guest today uh, and to let you know what you can expect so thanks to those of you who submitted in your questions ahead of time either with the instagram sticker feature or on our instagram post or even on facebook you sent in some of your questions for theron skis who is our guest today um, i'm gonna let theron introduce himself in just a minute but uh for those of you who are watching who notice that i have a, a fancy mic in front of me hey jen as jen mentioned we are recording this instagram live because i'm gonna make this into probably a bonus q a theron is a guest who's on the podcast uh, well, he's going to be a guest on the podcast for those of you watching on the Instagram live. He's going to be a guest in just nine days uh, on the show. We had a great discussion. I can't wait for all of you to hear uh, the conversation I have with Theron. Um, and for those of you who are listening back to the podcast now, of course, this episode was out a week ago. But I am so excited to introduce Theron to the podcast. I'm going to invite him in in just a second. And uh, it's great to see all of you as well. I'm inviting Theron into the room. Um, but uh, definitely, as we talk today, 
feel free to enter in your comments below and into the question sticker as well. But Theron, you're on the uh, on the Instagram Live. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Thanks for joining everybody. Yeah, I, I'm so glad to have you here. I'm glad we got to connect and uh, I'm glad we had a great conversation on the podcast. I think this is going to be a fun extension of that as well. And before we, I guess, get to some of the questions, um, people might not be familiar with you. I'm sure just about everybody watching is, especially fans of Imagineer podcasts, are going to know all the big Imagineers out there. But for those who might not know your work there, and uh, definitely go ahead and introduce <laughs> yourself. Sure. Uh, well, hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. You know, getting an Imagineer, uh, a microphone and an audience is, you know, it's kind of magical because we really love to talk about um creating all these incredible experiences that make everybody so happy. So my experience, about 23 years uh, with Walt Disney Imagineering. Um, I started as an art director at the Disney Hollywood Studios. Of course, it was called Disney MGM Studios back then. Got to work on Tower of Terror and Fantasmic and 100 Years of Magic and Stunt Show and Rock and Roller Coaster, all these really cool things that were done at the studios at that time. And um, since then, I've been all over the world. I had a wonderful time in Paris, working in Walt Disney uh, Studios uh, Park over there, building Tower of Terror, uh, Stitch Live, uh, Hollywood Boulevard. And then from there, I went to Hong Kong. Had an amazing four years in Hong Kong where we expanded the park. We did all kinds of very cool things there. Uh, came back, and many of you might be familiar with a little project called Disney Springs. <laughs> I've heard little, of it. <laughs> not little at all. It was it was pretty pretty mind bending, unbelievable. Um, so spent about four years on Disney Springs, and then my last gig was with uh, Disney Cruise Line, which was so awesome, uh, designing and uh, getting ready to build all of the three new ships coming out of which I'm sure you've seen the videos for Disney Wish. Uh, Super excited for everybody to be able to enjoy that. So you've done a few things, uh, a few things that people might (laughs) recognize at the company. Uh, You know, um, there's a couple things that you brought up that I'm going to have to ask about because we didn't get to talk about it on the podcast, and I'll I'll definitely get to that. Um, I actually might start with one of them, and then I'm going to see what questions uh, came in before. Uh, You mentioned Rock and Roller Coaster, which happens to be one of my favorite attractions. Um, We didn't talk too much about your experience, so what was your experience working on Rock and Roller Coaster? Well, I, I saw actually somebody had sent a question in about being an art director, so it might fit in just perfect. perfect my, role yes. at the, my role at the studios at the time was art director. So I was kind of the local WDI lead of that whole entire park. We had a team. And what's really cool about that role is you really get to work 365 days a year with the operations team. And what's really cool about that as a designer, as an experienced creator, is that you you kind of move with the flow of the guests' needs, uh, what they want, how things change. So one minute you're expanding a merchandise shop, the next minute you're designing retail uh, uh, carts or dining carts. Um, on Rock and Roller Coaster, the project was staffed with uh, teams from California that came in, but I had the really great time working and integrating that attraction into the park. So area development and concrete and how the signage fit. And it was it was just really fun to be able to do that. We did the same thing for Fantasmic. Um, and as fans of Disney MGM Studios know, 
Disney Hollywood Studios now, that <laughs> Sunset Boulevard is a bit of a dead end in a sense, but there's it's a it's a glorious discovery when you get to the end because on one side you have Fantasmic, in front of you you've got Tower of Terror, and then of course on the left hand side you've got Rock and Roller Coaster. So working to fit all of that together and and uh, maintain flow and everything that was a lot of my team's role on that project. That's awesome. Uh, every little detail that come that helps to bring these attractions to life is so important. And uh, I loved hearing some of your stories. Um, for those who uh, haven't yet heard the podcast episode, of course, the Instagram live, it's not live yet. But uh, if you're listening to the podcast, definitely go back and check it out because there are some incredible stories there. I feel like this will be a, a sort of like a bookend to that episode with with more more great stories. And one of the questions that actually came up a lot um, and I want to I want to talk about it right away um i get the question a lot too but I, i'm far <laughs> less reputable to answer that is uh how do you become an imagineer it's a very difficult question to answer and a very broad one at that but how would you respond to someone who's curious how to become an imagineer i'll take a swing you know i i, I never i never get that uh, question at all. Of course. <laughs> um, no, it, it's a really great question. And I think what's so amazing about it is it just shows uh, people's passion and uh, excitement around the, the company, around the product, and literally around the people that, that really work hard to bring that experience to, to the public. So what's awesome about Imagineering is there's a lot of entry points into, into the company, right? Because if you think of themed entertainment, you know, it's a broad, broad industry. Everything from what we what did we just talk about? Cruise ships to attractions, theme parks, hotels, water parks. It's it's a huge industry. And with that kind of variety, you have a lot of different disciplines, roles, uh, responsibilities to kind of bring all that together. And the, uh, the easiest way that I've found to kind of boil it down so everybody really understands it is there's a technical group and there's a non-technical group. And that uh, pretty much every single discipline falls into one of those categories. And what's really cool is that the very name, Imagineering, is, you know, Walt coined the phrase and it's imaginations and engineering. So in a sense, it's the technical and the non-technical. And to deliver these attractions, it takes both. So any role that you can think of, any job that you can pretty much think of, you're going to find in the themed entertainment industry at large, but even more specific, you'll find it at Imagineering. And you can come in through a degree, you know, great college programs. They have a lot of MFAs out there right now. Several colleges, university level uh, are offering these master's degree. Great way to get your foot in the door, come in. But also the way that I came up was just learning and growing through uh, the industry, being taught by masters, learning, you know, adapting and implementing your trade and, you know, you find your way in and um, uh, our industry is coming back. So I just wanted to leave excitement and hope with everybody. And um, we're really seeing that come alive now. And um, so don't lose hope. Keep trying. It's it's very tough. Um, Megan actually asked a great follow up question here, which is how can you get past the resume portion of the application process? I feel like everybody gets stuck there or a lot of, you know, everyone's a lot of people are going to get stuck there. Um, but how can you I guess, differentiate yourself in that, in that part of the process? I think that one of the biggest things about Imagineering uh, that I, I also get asked is, 
uh, by students. I, I teach a lot at, at a couple different universities, and um, I do a lot of coaching and mentoring and that type of thing through my website. So I do get that, that question that says, you know, I can't wait to work at Imagineering or Universal Creative because I have so many great ideas. And I, I always remind people, look, you're not going to get hired because you have great ideas. You'll yeah. get hired because there's a need and, and you have a particular skill um, that will fill that need. So on your resume, make sure that um, you have a expertise in an area that you're very good at. Now, you may be good at 10 things, but um, which makes you even, uh, I would like to believe, more hireable, if that's a word, because if you find somebody that's do, that needs a graphic designer and you have that skill, you know, put that forward on your resume. It's all about getting your foot in the door. It's about getting hired and, and getting um, on that first project team. Really, everything in Imagineer, everything in this industry, especially from a creative perspective, is about collaboration. So any way that you can demonstrate teamwork, collaborative support, um, your desire to learn, your desire, your hunger for curiosity. If there's any way you can demonstrate that, those are the people I really believe that get hired. Because somebody that knows everything, somebody that's an expert, you know, um, those team members are really hard to fit on a team. People that come in that are hungry and ready to learn, um, those I believe are the people, those are the people that I always hired. Um, because I knew that they were going to be fine. They were going to, you know, SpongeBob everything. They're just going <laughs> to absorb everything and uh, apply it and 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 do so with an excited kind of attitude. Yeah, that's great advice. And uh, definitely, those who are you're right. Like a lot of people are passionate about it, but then there's there's all these ways that you can you can differentiate yourself and and set yourself apart from the rest of the pack, which is so important to do. Uh, the other skill, yeah. too, sorry, Matt, just to jump okay. in, but I, I didn't want to leave this off, is tenacity. And, and you know, if, if your resume gets accepted on the first go around, that is awesome. And you should definitely write about it and encourage others. But don't expect that to happen, right? You've got to knock on that door and lots of doors many, many, many times. And if Imagineering isn't hiring, there's so many other support uh, companies within the industry that offer design services, that offer scenic services, um, technical services, um, controls. I mean, go get a job in those places too, because you'll end up working with with uh, those sort of legacy brands, Disney, Universal, Merlin, and uh, and and that'll be a great way in as well. That's actually great advice. I had interviewed a pair of Imagineers earlier this year. One was technically an Imagineer working at Walt Disney Imagineering, and then the other was working for a set design or scenic design company that was outsourced and you know both had the chance to work at Disney um you know but one was technically in the gates of Imagineering or behind the doors of Imagineering and then another was um you know still working on the same projects but with mm. another company so there's there's you're right a lot of other opportunities beyond that um to get we're going to bounce around a bit and just have fun sure. with this so one of the questions that came in I definitely want to ask about cuz you and I had talked about this after our episode uh, ended so those who listen back to the podcast are not going to hear this part of the co our conversation uh but we talked about music a little bit and someone asked about the the music loops at disney and uh i had i had interviewed a couple of folks who who were responsible for music one was russell brower the other was george wilkins both great uh you know folks at working on music at walt disney imagineering mm -hmm. um but uh, i know you have some experience with music loops as well so can you speak to some of the thought process that goes into some of the music and the music loops at disney sure uh, music like any other element that creates a scene 
is a contribution to the overall experience, right? So if you if you think of your favorite movie, for example, when you watch a movie uh, or TV show, every element that you would pretty much find in a theme park uh, is there, except smell and except taste, <laughs> yeah. right? And and touch, you really can't do that. Uh, it's about audio and and sight. So if you add in those other senses when you're in a, a themed environment, an immersive environment. Um, you kind of get the all of the ingredients of the recipe. Every single one of them is important um, because they represent the five senses of our humanity. And when you touch each of those senses in a uh, in an emotional way, when you're when you're taking people on a journey, and that journey is story driven. Our goal as as designers, as creators, as builders of these of these worlds, is to leverage all of those senses in every environment, or or to the degree possible. Not every environment you can do a scent, for example. You can't really do a touch in every environment, but to the degree possible where it really works for the story, super important because you don't know what guest is going to remember what element. But you have the broadest possible audience, so as many elements as you can put in there, tactfully strategically important for the story, then you'll have the broadest possible audience that remembers those things. So that that's contextual for audio. I don't I didn't want to uh, overemphasize one of those elements above the other. Of course. Audio, like those other elements, um, is really dependent on the uh, its role in that scene, in that particular um, uh, emotional experience. If you're in an attraction, um, you can imagine how audio, because all of us on this call have 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 experienced <laughs> it. Audio plays a big role in attractions. It's really emotionally driving. You know, in something like um, uh, the attraction Dinosaur, you know, that 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 thumping music just really drives you uh, on your on your you know quest through that prehistoric time in Tower of Terror. It adds all kinds of suspense and thrill. Um, that's the the role that music has in an attraction. In a place like Disney Springs, music is called BGM. It's background music. And it's meant to be the rhythm of the life of that particular environment. We have that on the ship as well, where it's just BGM. Something is, is more foreground music, right? FGM, you don't really hear that much, but something more foreground is more performance-like. So I say all of that to try to... to Put this into character for how music is scored. If you're in a space that is a, a enclosed space, like a retail shop, or maybe there's a, a cast member who's loading an attraction, the music in that space, we always try to make the longest possible loop, 90 minutes, you know, an hour, uh, uh, I mean, uh, two hours, you know, three hours. Uh, on board our ships, we'll do like a five-hour um, uh, loop. And why do we do that? We do that to avoid fatigue, you yes. know, and, and anybody that spent any time in small world, for example, completely <laughs> understands music fatigue. And if, if you're if you're a frontline cast member working in that scenario, it's really difficult to be happy, optimistic, smiling when you've heard it's a small world for the 10 millionth time. It, it wears on you. It fatigues you. So we know that and we try to design that into each environment in a way that um, not only supports the show, supports the story and the experience, but we also try really hard to care for our frontline cast members that are working in that space, right? Because they're delivering that story one-on-one. Sorry, that was a long answer for a short question, but I I hope that gives you more context. No, that's great. Uh, And as a former cast member, I appreciate that too. I never worked (laughs) at a a place that had such a small loop. Um, 
Actually, it's not true. Kilimanjaro Safari is the pre-show, did the loop every three minutes, but still, it never got old <laughs> oh. for some reason. Um, wow. But even being out front in the background music for Harambe, there's just so much. Uh, I always enjoyed listening to the music. Um, it was, I think, in a two-hour loop, uh, so it never it never seemed to get old. I was never out there for quite long enough for, it to, That's good. for the fatigue to hit in. Um, you know, speaking about Disney Springs, uh, there were some questions that I saw coming in about uh, story and since you had such an, an intimate connection with Disney Springs and worked on that project, uh, can you share any stories that helped to contribute to the development of Disney Springs as it is that might not be readily apparent to someone <laughs> walking around going from shop to <clears throat> shop, but then when you sit mm-hmm. back and look at it, you say, wow, that makes so much sense now. Yeah. Disney Springs, uh, for me personally, I mean, as a creative executive, um, building hotels, building, you know, theme park lands and attractions and those kind of things it was a it was a big challenge because it was it it was like a theme park but not and what i mean by that is we couldn't use we as the creative team the design team we couldn't use all the standard theme park things that you think of using if matt if we were talking and we're like you know what our next job is we're building an attraction in uh tomorrowland right we would know exactly the style we would know the time period we'd have a a sense of the characters it it, in a sense that uh, the framing of that whole story is kind of already created for us right disney springs in a sense we had to create that from nothing and we had to do so in a way that would work really well with 90-some-odd 90, 90 tenants, third-party tenants that were coming in that you know the Disney brand couldn't overwhelm their brands, but their brands couldn't overwhelm and confuse the Disney brand. Right. So it was this really careful ballet of, of integration where we had to develop a story that was uh, <clears throat> excuse me flexible enough to allow these other brands to kind of come and play and even uh, ex- expand their story especially the retail brands and tell their story in a way that really fit and and one of the the things that we did was we we really worked hard to distill okay what is what is it that a disney um fan a disney consumer a guest what do they want and 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 when they come to Florida and they're coming to you know visit the theme parks, they're in an escapism and play kind of mindset. They wanna they wanna have fun with their family. They wanna enjoy things. You know that that's the goal. So when you start thinking about that, we realized that the one of the key things at Disney is to create a place. The place has to be authentic. It has to have enough cues in it that it really feels like it was authentically done. It was a story. So we approached the design at Disney Springs almost like archaeology, uh, where we had to create all these layers of buildings that some of them uh, were 100 years old, but they had to be, they had to look 100% authentic as if they were built in that time, but then lovingly restored. And, <laughs> right. then, and then there were modern uh, you know, contrivances and things that were added to it uh, to be um, in, the, in the present. It was a really difficult task, but once you key into the story, it, it flowed like a river because everybody got into the story, they got the visioning, and then we, we kind of went for it. That's amazing. I love that aspect of aging because it definitely applies to every Disney attraction out there and every every part of Disney. One of my favorite examples um, beyond Disney Springs is at uh, Pandora, the world of Avatar, because they had to think about 
first of all, this takes place way in the future. But even though it takes place in the future, it's past a time that had already happened that we saw in the films. And now they had to age it beyond that. So it's really... Thinking <laughs> totally differently about time and the construct of time. If we're we're now you know way dis- in the distant future, but looking at things as they have evolved from not so distant in the future. <laughs> yeah. From there, it's it's so true. You know, Disney fans and and I I'm one of them. Is um, that we we're spoiled, right? Because we're dealing with a company that invests an enormous amount of money. I mean, enormous amount of money. <laughs> yes. Uh, over a very long period of time where they don't expect to make any money, right? If you look at a, a, an attraction or a land like Avatar, I mean, you're talking three, maybe four years of just design before you ever even start building. And then another maybe two years of building and something that complex before you open. So in a sense, the company's going to invest what amounts to hundreds of millions of dollars and not expect to see a dime back on that for five years. Yeah. And then in, and then sometimes you have to tweak beyond because maybe there's things that you you thought were going to work that didn't. You know, anytime you create something completely new that's never been done before, you we I think Disney hits it on the mark. Universal, you know, most times too, uh, right on the mark most of the time, but there's always that adjustment. And, and as fans, we we're, we are so love the environment, we don't think about the effort and the mechanics, I think, that goes into, into creating that. Yeah, it's very true. And I love, we talked on the podcast episode about the, the business side of the equation as well, because it is so incredibly important. I mean, you have to, even Walt knew you had, you need money to make right. these uh, dreams come true. <laughs> so you have to think practically about, uh, about both sides of the coin, too. Um, some interesting questions here, and I want to start with uh, one that was from Ken. Um, so, oh, actually, he asked a different question, but I'm going to ask this one anyway. So, what would you, he had he asked another question. Ken, you have some good questions here. Um, what would your Blue Sky project be, or is a project you wish you had been a part of? I think last time in our podcast episode, I asked what uh, what attraction you wish you could have been a part of. But I guess uh, to take that a different way. Um, you know, what's a, a blue sky, a part of a, what's a project you wish you could have been a part of the blue sky phase of development? Blue sky phase. Um, well, I, and I guess, I, can you explain what blue sky phase is for those who might sure, not know? <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, blue sky is the, is the really the, everybody says it's the beginning of the project, but it's really not. It's really kind of step two. The beginning of the project is when you meet with the client. So use that speak. Uh, in this case, that, that client would say Walt Disney World or, or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line. So even as Imagineers, you have to, you have to think of them as the client, right? They're a business. Um, and, and you're extrapolating all the program details, the business details, the brand details, the audience and that helps you form what type of blue sky you're you're actually going to do, it, it, despite what is kind of um, widely perceived about blue sky. It's not a bunch of people in Hawaiian shirts with play-doh and squishy toys and you know and <laughs> and Led Zeppelin or whatever playing in the background. It just it just doesn't work like that. I mean, sometimes maybe, but you you have a you know in most cases it's a pretty specific parameter you know what you're, you're what you're trying to solve for and you have a, a really diverse group in the room um, to help you bring ideas to solve 
uh, the problem. And the problem might be, how do we expand the studios? You know, uh, we're going to build three new ships. We have to change the industry. So that's kind of what Blue Sky is. I, I would I would have said uh, five, six years ago that one of my um, goals for Blue Sky would have been working on the ships. So box checked, got the T-shirt, <laughs> uh, got the name tag, you know. Uh, I, that was so amazing. It was so much fun to, to be able to dream up all of the the things for the wish, everything that you see, it was so cool to be a part of that, leading that whole effort. It was awesome. Um, what Matt and I talked about last time is if I kind of look at all the projects and think of, wow, that would have been a really cool project. The answer that I gave was uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye at Disneyland in California. You know, working with Tony Baxter on a property that is just beloved, right? I mean, I, I just, I love Indiana Jones. That would have been one of those projects that would be like, wow, I almost would have probably done that for free, you know? <laughs> it's just so cool to do that. That, that would absolutely be amazing. Um, I would have loved to, uh, I love all the details behind that attraction to begin with, but uh, to be able to see the planning process for it would have been yeah. amazing as well. You know, um, I, maybe I'll, yeah. I'll throw a bug into everybody's ear yeah, and, and just dream for two seconds because there's a, a project that um, a colleague of mine, many of you might may know Jason Sorrell, uh, when we were working together at Imagineering, we pitched an idea uh, that, was, that was really cool and it, it never got built. And, uh, and I would really love to see that built uh, today. But the basic idea was um, building a physical brick-and-mortar attraction that had the ability to have a lot of flexibility inside of it. Um, but it was tied into um, a game, like an open-world game, you know, uh, Mad Max or, or Fortnite or, or, you know, Zombie or something like that, where it was this giant world with hundreds of characters and, and you could spend months playing in it. If you could think about tying the digital gaming world with a physical brick and mortar space where those two uh, uh, platforms knew you and remembered you and and you you know you opened levels and Easter eggs and bosses in the physical attraction that you got to enjoy when you were there and then uh, you know you wore an amulet or you wore something that recorded your progress and then when you got home it 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 was taken up in the game. So I, that was the big idea. We won't get into the, the IP-related stuff, but I think even today, that would be so cool, and that's a project that I would love to to lead. Anybody out there with several hundred million dollars, <laughs> you know, wants, wants to do something cool, you know, give me a call. Call me. That call would be me. incredible. And it's the merging <laughs> of the... There, there's already the gamification of attractions. Yeah. Uh, you know, it started back probably even before Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin, but then the evolution of that to Toy Story Midway Mania, and now with even attractions like Millennium Falcon Smuggler's Run, where you can pilot the Falcon, and there is yep. the gamification behind it. But yeah, to actually take that to the to the next level and yeah. and make it... Uh, like, talk about rewritability. That would be... Yeah. You would, you would right. never have the same experience twice. That especially, would be incredible. Especially if you were to tie into some kind of existing IP that already had a lot of cachet. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Sony, Microsoft, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> who, who wants the billion-dollar idea? They did just build Nintendo World at Universal, but uh, yep. they could have they taken it even a step further <laughs> with that idea. That's for sure. Um, I'm just dreaming. I'm just dreaming. <laughs> One of the questions I saw come in earlier, and I'd have to scroll back to find it exactly, but it had to do with constructive criticism, which is such an important... Mm. Um, First of all, I think it's important to to give constructive criticism as a leader, and it's also important as uh, as anyone. You can also be a leader getting constructive criticism, but um, it's important to receive constructive criticism too. But I find, especially Absolutely. in you know 
in creative disciplines or in any discipline, getting constructive criticism on something you've spent a lot of time and energy and heart developing can be, um, you know, very heart wrenching at times. So how can you, uh, you know, take constructive criticism well? <laughs> and do you have do you have any examples that you can share of uh, times you've had to take constructive criticism? Yeah, a lot. And, and Matt, we'll have to do this again, because this is a, this is a really, really important question and a topic. And I'm so glad that you asked it. But the answer is a really long one. So I'll, I will paraphrase so we can get to others. And maybe it's something Go we can it. come back to. Yeah, but it, it's such an important point. And, and whoever asked the question, I'm so grateful that you did. Because, you know, when you're in this industry, there's a there's a, a few uh, core competencies that no matter what role you have, doesn't matter even if you're in finance, or, you know it doesn't matter. Um, you have to be collaborative. Every single thing about this business is teamwork. Um, and if every single person that was connected right now and all of us were on a team and one of you had the idea and you brought it to the table and it was the uh, the idea that all of us were going to work on guess what? Very quickly, within a month, it's no longer your idea. It's <laughs> our idea. And, and that's not uh, because people are taking it away from you. It's because to make that idea the best it could possibly be, it requires all of us. So this idea of ownership of a concept or a, um, a, an idea is misplaced. Um, it really is because number one, you're working for a client. So every idea that you have, when you're working for the client, the client already owns. And it doesn't matter how good you think the idea is, when the client comes into the room, and this has happened to me before, two minutes into the presentation, I've got five boards, and the CEO goes, yeah, I don't know, I, I don't like this right here. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm not even on that image yet, you know? So you, you don't own it, right? Um, but what's really hard about that, especially as creatives, is that to make it really good, you have to feel ownership for it. And in a sense, it's very much like giving birth because you think and you, 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 know, you, you collect everybody's ideas and you've got the writer and you have the illustrator and you, you birth this idea. And in a sense, it's fragile. And as a creative, you're, you're, you're taking a risk by, by pitching this idea. So what I would really encourage you to do is to no matter what level you're at, no matter if you're in school or, or if you're working right now, and you're, you're, if you're working right now, you're a professional in the industry, um, I would pitch stuff even if, if it wasn't a client's, right? Just to get feedback and to get used to getting that feedback. Um, the leader should set up an environment where feedback is positive. Uh, if you look at Pixar, you know, there's very few companies on earth that, is, that have hit as many home runs. Sorry for the stupid sports analogy. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. With, with, their, with, their, you know, with a product that typically doesn't have that many successes. And one thing that's absolutely key to their organization is the brain trust. And the brain trust is a very tight-knit group of eight, I think it is, uh, or was, um, that really would punch holes in everything. And it doesn't matter. Everybody's working on different films. They would come in and say, yeah, that character needs this, or I don't know about that scene, and, and why don't we flip-flop that? And the brilliant thing about that is it got everybody used to, everybody is working together to make the best product possible. So that, I think, if you don't get anything else out of anything that I ever say, it's you got to take that away. Um, teamwork is the only way that you deliver the very best product. And the very best work of your career comes when other people participate with you. 
it's such great advice and it is it is important to be able to sort of separate ownership of of the idea because that i think is to your point the first step in in making a great product whatever it might be or great outcome um because you remove that the ego side of the project and you focus on just making it to your point the best that it could possibly be um as it is and i think that you know you probably have examples too of times where it started as an idea and we've seen this too in, in disney plenty of times you look at the concept art and disney shares it too they'll share it at the beginning of the project they'll share it in some of some of my favorite disney books show the original concept art things like right. you know expedition everest i remember looking at the concept art for that and <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing and the attraction itself is is mind-blowing the yeah. way it is but uh i feel like that happens all the time you have yeah. something start with this concept and then at the end of the day, when you mold it into place, it, it it's base it's it still has the same spirit, but it's yeah. it's almost something completely different. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, the reason I I, I kind of I, don't, I shouldn't say pick on, but I, I focus on uh, the creatives because I'm I'm one of them. I've yeah. I've lived this. Is um, you know the other disciplines um, aren't don't have to. It's not as risky, right? When you get criticism on a schedule, it's black and white. It's fact. Well, if you ask me to shave a week. It's going to cost you this much more, or we can't do it. When somebody comes and says something about a rendering that you worked on for two weeks, you know, you, you put so much passion in it, it, it. It's normal to have an emotional response to that. So one thing I would definitely say is, as creatives, as designers, as people who develop these ideas and have to then go pitch them, um, we should be so adaptive. We should have so, our wells should be so filled with creative ideas that it's, it's pouring out of us. So if, some, you know, we should come to the table with a thousand ideas and choose the best one of the thousand to pitch. And if that goes south or, or east or, you know, slightly bends, you grab another section of your idea or somebody else's ideas. And, and that's the goal is that you're already five steps steps ahead because you have so you're so effusive with ideas and with solutions and designs and stories and characters and and that's the the goal is to be inspired every day to keep your well full so you can keep splashing those ideas on everybody else that's the general um state of being that that creative should be specifically in this business it's so very true um, sticking to some of the questions that have to do with, I guess, the, the industry and, and working in the industry, um, this question came from Sarah, which I think is a great question as well. And this was sent in actually on the, the post that we had earlier. Um, what do you think is something you've learned during your time with Disney that could help aspiring creatives in the themed entertainment industry? So not even just Disney by itself, but any, any company in themed entertainment. Excellent. Well, this probably, the statement I'm about to make, uh, was told to me by, um, the uh, CTO of the company at the time, chief technical officer. And I thought it was great advice. He said, you don't get to choose your parents and you don't get to choose your bosses. Um, That's true. So I think keeping that in mind is really important because oftentimes we are in situations that are not ideal. They're difficult. Anybody that's gone to university knows you've had that, that, that professor, that you just, you know, you, you can't skip the class. You need the grade. You, you need it for your degree. You need the credits. It's a pain, but you got to push through. And there's a million other scenarios. Sometimes it's like that in the workplace. And, and themed entertainment is not any different. In fact, it's a very personality-driven business. Um, you, you know, you, uh, Matt, interview Imagineers. And those are some pretty big personalities, <laughs> um, you know. And, and it's true. And that's it, sometimes it takes that to 
to navigate it, it, it takes a lot of energy to stand up in front of a group of people and ask for 200, 300, 500 million dollars. Yeah. You know, this is monopoly money to most of us. Most of us don't deal with those amount of zeros in our normal life. So I, I think that's a, a really important skill is that you got to have perseverance and you have to find um, connectivity to the work uh, beyond just um, uh, your boss, beyond just the organizational structure, beyond just the pedigree of the job, right? I'm with universal creative, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm elite or I'm with imagineering, you know. Um, you have to, sometimes you have to really search for the why behind why you're doing that. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta make the decision. You know what? Um, I, I should leave. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated. I should probably leave and go do something else, but I couldn't do anything as cool as this anywhere else, even though this one element is, is troublesome. And believe me, in my 23 years, quite a few times where that came out, I dusted out the resume. I sent it out. I'm like, I'm out of here. This is so toxic and frustrating. But I made the decision to stay, and I'm very glad that I did. You know, the level of tenacity you gain by doing that, and and at the end of the day, it's about the people that you work with. I don't know. I'm, I may have been all over the place on that because there's a lot of things, but um, that's one thing that I took away. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's great. Um, that's great advice, and you can you can feel free to jump around wherever you would like to. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm jumping around with questions. It's only fair you can jump around with answers too. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so uh, um, this is actually a really great question. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask because um, I feel like it, it's a one. You have great answers to all these questions, and so I like to I like to push on. You're trying a to stump with me some, with some important. No, I'm not trying to stump you, but just ask you some really. You have great philosophical answers. Um, so <laughs> okay, this comes from Ken again. Um, this is a question I did mean to to hit, to hit that Ken brought in. But um, when working on a project, what's harder, having to say no or being told no? Wow. And I could see both being tough, but <laughs> is yeah, there one I, you find more more challenging? Yeah, not to cop out, but really both are are, are tough. Um, I I think I would I would say saying no to to people in a leadership role that are you know sparkly eyed, on fire with an idea, you know, so passionate, and you know that a part of it or most of it is just not appropriate in this particular scenario. It might be too expensive. It might be, you know, down a path that you would love to go, but you just can't. I think I would say that that's probably harder. Uh, as a leader, that, that's hard. You know, you want to find a teammate that's just busting at the seams, you know, to to be involved and to come up with ideas. And, and you hate to be in a place where you have to, you know, tell somebody something that could possibly deflate them. So that's that's hard. Being told no, going back to my comment earlier, I've already got a thousand ways that I can deliver this thing. I, I and right. I, I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I really mean that in a in a designerly way, right? I can do it this way. I can do it that way. I can do it this way. I can represent it that way. I can do this because once we're locked into the story, once we're locked into the vision, there's a there's a million ways to deliver against that, right? Uh, just think of your favorite theme. Just think Western, right? There's there's an infinite number of ways to deliver Western from, you know, uh, cowboys and aliens all the way through to pale rider, you know, it's just right. tons of ways to do that. So as a designer, as a creator, you bringing that to the table, you won't be too frustrated because you'll be able to, to switch and go back and, and pick something else out of the, the flat file in your brain. Uh, but I, I always hated 
running the risk of deflating somebody uh, because that passion is so important on a team. I, I have to agree with you 100%. I think especially, um, you know, as creative people, if we're able to, to your point earlier, remove our, you know, remove ownership from a project and it's just about the project, then it becomes a lot easier to receive criticism and to adapt. And you said, you know, you said yourself, you have a, a thousand other ways to bring that idea to life. Yeah. Um, but then, can, yeah, I agree. Deflating someone's, uh, you know, passion can be can be very yeah. tough to do. Can I take a, a just a slight angle on that? Yes, too? absolutely. Just, just for our, our folks. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, when you're when you're working, say, with the I just had a thought, you know, I was working with our finance person. Right. The, the most of the finance people that I've worked with um, really enjoy being a part of the process. Right. They're not like Roz from Monsters, Inc., you know, <laughs> always watching. Yeah, it's not it's not. I mean, I'm sure there's some. Right. But the majority of the people I work with are passionately um, uh, uh, excited about being part of the process. They don't like to tell you no, right? They don't like to say, you know, Theron, man, we, we, we just don't have the money for that. Or, or the scheduler or the project manager saying, look, dude, we just don't have time for that. What, what I want to leave with you is if you're the person being told no, or, you know, you can't do that by somebody else on the team, don't destroy them, right? Don't go, ah, oh, man, I'm creative. You know, you should do what I say. <laughs> you know, don't do that because it'll it'll crush them and it'll put a, a chasm between you and, and those individuals, even though they're not in the creative group or the design group, man, they are integral to you delivering uh, on that process and you want them uh, on your side, on your team, that you want to be a part of it. it. It is a push and pull, and everybody has to compromise. So I just wanted to leave that with you too. Um, it's just so important on a team. Sometimes I'm in the place saying no. Uh, sometimes others are in the place saying no uh, as well. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with you. Um, I, I've I've found that it's you know early in my career, um, earlier in my career, I was always worried about getting any sort of criticism or being told no. Um, and as I've sort of gone through, um, gone through my career, I've realized that really those are, that's often the best thing we can get is yeah. just candid responses and feedback. And that's how we become so much better at yeah. what we do. I do have an example of something yes. that's worse than being told no. If anybody's interested, um, I'm, I'm really curious <laughs> is being, is being told yes. And then they change their mind. Oh, yeah. And this this happened to me on Disney Springs. Quick story, right? Yeah, it was go the for park, it. The parking garage, you know, big, big challenge. How do you have this 100-year-old town, and then you've got these two aircraft carriers, three aircraft carriers now sitting, <laughs> sit blocking, you know, all this beautiful work that we, you know, spend millions of dollars on. Right. So we, we, we tried really hard to come up with a... Uh, a skin, if you will, for the garages that really felt more like um, uh, like urban art, you know, like, like you see in so many cities. So we we came up with concepts. We we pitched them to the the chairman, you know, uh, at the time, Tom Staggs, Bob Iger. I mean, senior senior level. My uh, creative leader, Bruce, at the time, Vaughn, Bruce Vaughn, and and those guys were like, love it, great, go for it. So I got back to the project managers. I got it was a third party that was doing it. The contractor was already hired. The contractor bought special machines to uh, punch holes in aluminum, right? I wow. mean, they, they purchased hundreds of thousands of dollars. They purchased the aluminum, right? So um, all the, the CAD design, everybody was doing their thing, right? Because we got the yes. I didn't think anything of it. I think it was maybe, I don't know, two, three weeks. I think it was the following month. I was having an, an update per month. So I went back and I always... 
you know, as the as the lead, I always put on the board things, and here's how it's going, and here's you know, blah. And I I think it was probably a new CAD model of the of the garages, and um, we we're going through, and and one of them stands up and picks up and goes, "Wow, I, I I don't remember seeing that. That's I don't like that at all. That kind of reminds me of this that other thing." And I was like, at the moment, my heart fell all the way down to the into my shoes because I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Because I'm thinking the supply chain. I'm thinking everybody's going. I mean, what do you mean? And this is, <laughs> these are senior leaders. You can't say, uh, duh, want me to bring out my recording of you saying yes? Right. You, you, you can't do that. So I was kind of like, gulp, well, what would you like? And this is an example of bringing your ballet slippers to every single meeting or your tap shoes, right? You got to dance sometimes. So I'm like, what do you, what would you like? How would you like it? Boom, boom, boom. I don't know. We think we blah, blah, blah. So literally on the flight back uh, to Orlando, which was the red eye from California, hundreds of sketches, thoughts, designs. The morning I landed, I ran right in to the modeler and we're like, guys, we got to change, right? So bam, within 30 days, we had a completely different design, completely catted out, all new design using the same material, the same manufacturer. It was insane, but they loved it. So that's that's what happens sometimes. And that was a whole lot worse than being told no, right? <laughs> yeah, you've got the project in motion. You have all these pieces moving, and then it's, it's like turning a ship around. It's just not that easy yeah. to do, um, and you have to do it, to your point, really fast. Yeah. Uh, Any so. wasted money on a job is money that you can't put f back in front of the guests. So right. I, I, it, it, I'm so conscious of that working on there. How efficient can we do it? Let's don't waste money. Let's don't hire 10 people when we really only need seven, you know. And every dime, every dollar, we really do struggle and work hard to put that in a way into the guest experience. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, you only have X amount of money to work with. You can't just say, yeah, we'll throw another $100 million into the project and, and see what happens. It can't, Absolutely. Uh, can't happen. No. <laughs> Um, still talking about some, uh, we've been tackling some tough questions. There were some fun questions that were sent in earlier and I'll have to scroll to see who sent this in, but I think it could lead to some, uh, some fun discussions. Great. Um, you know, as an Imagineer, you, you obviously, um, have an affinity for the things that you worked on. And we talked a little bit about the things that you didn't work on. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a question I like to ask most of the guests on my show. I don't always ask the Imagineers these questions, but I'll ask you because we're having a fun conversation. Um, <laughs> not to say I don't with the others too. Um, but uh, your favorite park at Disney, um, do you have a favorite park either at Walt Disney World or Disneyland or anywhere international um, that you say like I either love you love being there or you admire the Imagineering that went into it or you could take the question however you would like from that. Yeah, it's it's a it is a hard question, and I'm assuming every Imagineer says the same thing. It's it's hard. Yeah. Um, uh, full transparency, I have not been to Shanghai, so you know that off the table for at least from my impression. I know there's some amazing things there. I love different parks for different reasons, and and Go I'll just fi fire through them really quickly. Yeah. I yeah. re I really love uh, Disneyland Paris. Uh, I love the Fantasyland there. I really love. The uh, you know the Discovery Land, our Tomorrowland, basically the design that's there. What Eddie did on Main Street, I mean, just really, really good. What Tim did, you know, uh, Delaney and, and Discovery Land. It, it just great, great design and storytelling. Love that. Um, in Japan, I think I love Japan um, both parks because I love the way that the people interface with it. Uh, the design is amazing. The storytelling, I mean, really. You know, they really, truly spared no expense. I mean, the Oriental Land Company just did it right. 
and they maintain it to an immaculate level. So I love that park for that reason. And then the last bit was um, I have a very soft spot in my heart for Hong Kong, uh, having spent so much time there. I love the fact that when you look down Main Street, it's the only castle that has a green mountain behind it. And yes. it, it just so delivers on what you think of fantasy land when you see that beautiful castle against the mountain, and then you have the ocean to your back. It's just really spectacular. I know I didn't narrow it down very well, but, but <laughs> th- those are those are my considerations. <laughs> no, those are those are great answers, and I love how you, you took it, uh, you know, different ways or different parks, and you're right, different parks definitely have their, their, uh, their bright spots, the things that set them apart, and uh, I, I pretty much agree with, with all your points, especially I do agree about Disneyland Paris and Discoveryland. It's the it's such a unique take on Tomorrowland and it's the vision of the future based on the past. Um, and, you know, especially specifically mm-hmm. based on the, on the work of Jules Verne. And I, I think it's, it fits in so perfectly with Paris. Yeah. Now that's not to say, don't anybody walk away saying, wow, Theron doesn't like any of the domestic parks. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't do that. I, I love, no, no, I, no. that's the problem. I love everything, but you know, selecting is, is tough. Yeah. It's uh, it's, I, I run into that same problem all the time. Um, <laughs> It, trust me. It's like, well, well, Matt says he loves Disney's exactly. Animal Kingdom the most, but you know, does he not like the <laughs> other parks? Um, no, I definitely do. I mean, it's like it's like looking at your kids. You know, which one do you love the most? Oh, I love all of you guys. You know, I love you all the same. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, getting back to careers real quick. So Jacob sent in a question about internships, and he was specifically asking about professional internships at Walt Disney Imagineering. So if you have any insights about either how to land an internship at at Imagineering or or how it might help or maybe not make a difference in you getting a job in Imagineering. <laughs> um, and if not, if you can't get into an internship at Imagineering, but you really want to get into Imagineering as your career, um, how you can leverage internships in college to help you get there. Yeah, it's a really great point. And, you know, I find myself saying this a lot before COVID or yes. before the pandemic, All you know, the um, because everything has shifted so much. And even though the industry is coming back and I, I have no doubt within at least a year, um, I think Q3 and Q4 of this year, we're going to really see it go like this, you know, curve up. But Imagineering really works hard to tap into fresh young talent. I mean, that that is that is an absolute focus. And I'm, my assumption is, is that other organizations do that as well. I just don't have the experience uh, with them. I, I'm, I know Universal Creative does. I know Think Well, um, you know, Falcons, Treehouse, all, all these guys really do like to bring in that talent. And in a sense, it, it, it serves a, a dual purpose. Every intern that, that I brought on to, uh, we brought onto our teams, um, we worked really hard to find the right intern that really fit. And 90% of the time, we ended up hiring the intern full-time just because they were such a great fit. So for the intern, it's great. They get experience. They get, you know, more important than experience, you get contacts, right? People that you can write back and stay in touch with. And it gives you, as the intern, the opportunity to really team build, really audition, showcase your talent. Because what you want is everybody that you work with saying, I have to work with that person. Have you heard about this person? Now you have your whole team that you worked with calling other teams saying, you've got to work with her. You've got to work with him. They're amazing. So I think that's really important. So um, the Imagineering specifically goes to universities and looks and recruits. So I know that for sure. 
Also, with the Imagineering program, uh, I'm sorry, Imaginations program, it's been put on hold, but that's a 30-year-old program, um, and that is phenomenal. I mean, there's so many students who participate in that, and for those of you that don't know, it's if you're actively enrolled in university, you can uh, create a team, and you um, submit concepts based on the idea that Imagineering throws out. One year, it was how would you build a theme park on the moon? You know, it's crazy ideas like this. So cool. Um, and you work together in co-ed teams to to create these concepts, and then you pitch them. The winning team gets a year-paid internship with Imagineering. Now, I launched this program in Asia, my goodness, nine years ago now, and it's it's actually went from Hong Kong up into Shanghai. So important to to um, identify individuals who have that creative ability and help to educate them and foster that um, so that there's what you would call bench strength, right? It's the, the talent pool has to be deep as well as wide. So uh, these programs are, are kind of what help identify and do that. I don't know that those programs are active right now with Imagineering. My guess is, is that they're not. But as uh, students, I would find as many contacts as you can. I would network like a, a crazy person <laughs> and, uh, you know, reach out to as many people as you can and don't stop knocking on doors. Soon you will, you will line up some contacts, you'll network, you know. If you can afford it at all, get to Orlando for IAPA this year. It's, um, I really think it's going to be uh, less about the attractions and more about people looking for work uh, yeah. because I think they're going to do it in person. And it is a networking opportunity like crazy. That's great advice. Um, I, I do believe, and I've, I've said this to people who've asked me that question, it's one of the one of the things that you mentioned that I, that I do say a lot, which is it's all about who you know and any way that you can build those connections yeah. is a way that you can help to give yourself a leg up. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, it's all, about, it's all about that personal connection for sure. Um, if you one can of the join, yeah, I, I would, I'm sorry. sorry, I just forgot one last bit, like in Orlando, and I, I'm assuming in other cities, metropolitan areas, there's similar clubs, but in Orlando, we have a thing called Slice Creative Network, and um, it's super cool, a lot of creatives uh, join it, and they help each other, they network, um, they host all kinds of events, I mean, I, I sit on panels, my my courses are there. Actually, they're opening an entire toolbox where they're teaching uh, their members and stuff. So if you can find a way to join uh, something like that, it's probably going to be more affordable than joining like the TEA and that kind of stuff. So, but but any way that you can do to be involved with groups like that would be really helpful. It's true. Um, yeah, organizations are, are absolutely a great way to go. Um, this was going to lead me into because one of the other pieces of advice that I, that I give, and I know that it's something that you and I talked about on the podcast. Um, but it's, this is a little more specific, I guess, is Ken is asking about the Disney college program, which I'm, I'm very happy is back. Man, Ken's um, on fire. Movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this is, this is Kenna actually, I think. So slightly different. Okay. <laughs> um, still, still starts with Ken. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, um, does the Disney college program help, um, in getting into Imagineering, which I think that's an easy answer, but I think another way around that is, uh, or another question to extract from that is uh, about park operations and working in park operations helping you in Imagineering. You knew where I was going to go with that yeah. one because we talked about it. <laughs> we talked about it. Yeah, yeah it, it's, it is really, really important, uh, everybody. If, if, if your dream is Imagineering, if your dream is you know, working either technical or non-technical in uh, an organization like that, having experience in the parks is, is really, really important. Um, now, when you're sweeping up Main Street or stuffing hot dogs in buns or scooping popcorn or something, 
you know, I, I can see how in your mind you're like, yeah, right, Theron, you're just saying that. <laughs> the reality is um, you get to tap into the most important aspect of, of the theme park culture, and that is the guest, right? Not every experience is great. You're, you'll have, you know, crying babies, upset parents. That's just a reality of the human condition. But what you'll learn about that interaction and about how the business works will serve you so well when you're behind the scenes in the process of telling that story. Again, no matter what aspect you work, um, that uh, understanding of how things work is so critical, and I could, I we would we would be here the rest of the whole night if we went down the list of senior leaders uh, that have ever worked uh, at Disney, whether it's Imagineering or whether it's uh, Walt Disney World or any place within the organization. So many dozens and dozens of individuals started just that way, scooping ice cream, working in the magic shop, uh, you know, cleaning the street, that kind of thing. Very, very, very important. And I think that's why the summer program is important. Networking, right? Um, I can't tell you how many Imagineering events we held for college students, um, you know, in Walt Disney World, where it was like job fair, and you'd have marketing and yellow shoes and retail and Imagineering, and we'd all have booths, and, and all these cast members would come around, and, and you literally just got to talk to them, and huge. So I, I, I couldn't recommend it enough. Don't look down your nose at that kind of experience, because it'll really help you. Even if you do your summer uh, program at Disney, and you end up getting a job at Universal, it's, the, it's so similar. Uh, I think it's invaluable. You can't learn that in school. It's so true. Everything I learned on the Disney College program, I did not learn in school. Um, <laughs> there are some things that applied maybe, but mm. the soft skills you develop working in park operations and working with guests is yeah. not something school can prepare you for in the so slightest. True. <laughs> e even if you leave with an MFA and, and no shade on anybody who's you know, investing the time and the money to do that. Great. Yeah. But just know, don't go in there, you know, with your degree on, on a top of a, a pole because day one you're, you're learning just yeah. like the person who came up, you know, like me, you know, carving rocks and scenic and, and set building and, and all that stuff. You're, you have a lot to learn when your boots hit the ground. And, um, so just know that if you know that going into it and you can start in summer programs or an internship or get your foot in the door somewhere, you're picking up valuable information about an industry uh, that, that you want to be a part of, not wasting yeah. time. Oh, it's so true. So many people I've spoken to on the podcast, have, you know, they, those who have aspired to do things that people one day, one day want to do started out in the most <laughs> basic roles in the very beginning and you learn so much starting in those basic roles as you, yeah. you know, that'll apply in, in leadership positions. Well, you know, one of the stories that we started with was uh, me working at the studios. And, yes. you know, I think a lot of people have, uh, and rightly so, very grandiose ideas. And they, they have, you know, these, the greats like, you know, Joe Rohde and, and, and Marty and John Hench. You know, you have these great, great people. Um, and you think of these great, you know, amazing things. But my time at the studios, even though I was contributing in smaller ways the lessons that i learned that was that was my education right into the system into the way of doing things the processes and and you know it, so i would definitely never begrudge any of your any of the places that you start if you're on a project and you're in your 
working in interior design and you're choosing tile in the restrooms, you know, don't look down on that, you know, that you're learning something. If you're, you're just graphic designing uh, uh, the, the signs that for cast members only, you know, it's yeah. a start. You're, you're there, you're doing it, you've arrived, you're, you've made it, you know. So everybody starts somewhere and just absorb as much as you can. It's so true. Um, I know we're rounding out at about an hour, so we'll do maybe a couple more questions, and then we'll awesome. have to do we'll we'll tease that out as we'll we'll do this again sometime. Yes, um, yes. To, to answer more questions, but yeah, because I'm having fun. <laughs> I am too. Um, I could I could do this forever. If, uh, I'll, I'll fall asleep before I finish this Instagram live. <laughs> exactly. I'll just keep going and going and going. Um, the. thought about a lot cool um, and it's the idea of competition because if you look at some of the best you know restaurants have a have a um a common practice which is the best place to establish a restaurant is near other restaurants mm-hmm. um and two of the of course big names in themed entertainment and you brought up both of them of course you talked a lot about disney but also universal creative and in you know disneyland and in california <clears throat> in florida in Tokyo, they're right down the road from each other. So can you speak to the idea of competition um, as it applies to either your role at, let's say, Imagineering and, and you know, helping or hurting your role in Imagineering and helping or hurting themed entertainment in, in general? Absolutely. And it is, it's a great question, actually, because it kind of has a multifaceted answer, right? Yeah. Co- competition is... You know, uh, when you're <clears throat> when you're in a sports team, right? That, that's competition. But at the end of the game, you're shaking hands and good job. And you know, that's what we're supposed to do, anyways. That's the, the right <laughs> way to do it. Most and, of the time, that's what happens. Uh, yeah, it should be, unless you're in hockey, maybe. But um, <laughs> uh, it's the same in business, right? Business is a competition. But if you think of Orlando, that's most familiar because I'm here. Right. You know, competition for Disney is not just universal right it's bush gardens it's the beaches you know it's the it's the malls it's the you know competition comes in many forms because we start talking about something called share of wallet right when you go on vacation you've saved money and in your mind you've committed that money and that time to do something when you go to that destination. If you go to London, you're going to go see X, Y, Z. You know, if, you, if you're if you going to go to Moscow, you're going to see this, 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 and this, etc. Right? Same thing. If you're coming to Florida, especially if you're, you're from something in the Northern Hemisphere where you get all the white stuff, uh, you're going to want to enjoy the sand, the sun, the surf. You're going to enjoy the, the whole thing. That's really important. In themed entertainment, um, I, I think that different... Um, businesses deliver different levels of storytelling, right? If you think of an amusement park, right? Bush Gardens in Orlando, that's an amusement park. They, they're they not encumbered by the idea of a umbrella story over the entire property that uh, and everything has to align with that story. Now, I know that they're Animal Park and, and one could argue that, but it's very different when you look at Disney World, for example, and all of the theme parks that Disney has. Those are absolutely consistent, immersive stories from beginning to end. And there's different um, uh, journeys, different stories told under the overarching story or theme. Um, Universal has a very different um, story to tell, right? They, they, the way that they deliver stories is different from the way that Disney delivers stories. So 
in a sense, in my mind, that, that shouldn't be a, com a competitive thing. From a business perspective, yeah, you go to Disney. Instead of going to Universal, Disney makes money. But right. when, it, when it comes to delivery of stories and creative, I, I wouldn't think of them that way. Um, you know, from a talent perspective, you know, it's, it's like watching a, a tennis game at Wimbledon, right? You have, you know, bam, the, the, the creative director's over here. Bam, they're over there. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's just the way that our industry works. And when you learn something at, at Universal and you bring it to, not proprietary, obviously, but when you you know learn a skill, you learn a new you know way to do something, and you bring it to Imagineering, the whole industry benefits from that. You know, so many people said when uh, Harry Potter went in, oh man, Disney's gonna get it. You know, and <laughs> and and I think in a sense, um, if you if you look at that in a non nefarious way, and you look at it in a way that uh the you know a raising tide raises all boats, rising tide raises all boats. If you think of it in that way, I think that's the most healthy way because that helps our industry. If Disney delivers a groundbreaking you know, over-the-top attraction or experience or parade or show or, or character experience, that's good for the industry because that puts the pressure on everybody to raise the game. And who wins is the fans. So yes. I don't know. That's just the way I kind of look at it. I think it's unhealthy to get in a space where, and, and I've, I've heard this, I won't mention uh, the name of the company. I've heard this where uh, people within the company, especially in the creative group, are saying, we will not do it that way, that company's way. And I just think that's such bad energy and, and a bad, uh, a negative way to approach the development of anything that unfortunately that hinders the process and ultimately has a negative impact on what you deliver. Uh, that's just my impression. You know, you guys have to sail uh, on the, you know, on the wind that takes you, but I would much rather be optimistic and look at it and, and learn from everybody and uh, you be the best you that you can be. Um, you know, one year you might be identified as an Imagineer. The next year you might be working at Thinkwell. You know, the next year you might take a job in Saudi Arabia because there's trillions of dollars being spent there. You, you know, don't be identified as an Imagineer. Be identified as you, your brand, and your value that you bring to the to the marketplace. You know, I think that's much healthier. I so agree, and that's why we get along. I, I think, or one of the reasons we get along is I. <laughs> there's a, I there's thought, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that the same. Pe I, I've I've had that conversation with people about, uh, you know, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, um, being a positive influence on on Disney, because um, right. there were so many, and and then it it almost started this this great. Um, uh, the competition was already there, but this great like match that's been going on since then of, of Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Then we had Pandora, the World of Avatar. Now Universal's thinking about Super, you know, Super Nintendo Land, right. and Disney's got Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and like so, they're just constantly yeah. one up universe. The you game, know. yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, awesome. Just so much, yeah, it is great. Um, <laughs> so let's do this. Uh, there's so many other questions, but we're going to leave a, a cliffhanger and we'll oh, just come on, again. dad. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back and do this again. Um, for those of you who are tuning in late to Instagram live, don't worry. I'm going to this is going to be a podcast episode at the very least. And I'm probably going to put this video up um, so you can watch later as well in case you can couldn't see all of it. Um, but Theron, I want to make sure because you had such great answers and I think you contribute so much beyond this Instagram live in general. Um where can people go to follow you, see what you have going on? Um, where should people go to, to find you online? 
Awesome. Well, thanks for the opportunity. You know, I, I really do love educating, inspiring, and guiding people. I, I really do. It's it's not just a slogan. It's it's truly what I enjoy. Yeah. Um, I, ha- I have a website, designerscreativestudio.com. Um, you know, please uh, go check it out. If you join and you become a member, um, every other month I have members-only events. You get discounts. You get a blog. I mean, it's it's. I'm trying to build a community there. Of course, I'm on the the socials, right? Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, I have a YouTube channel. I post quite a lot of, or at least I try to, instructive uh, videos there that try to talk about processes in the industry and uh, get pretty good feedback there. Um, on Facebook, I've got a group called the Imagineering Insider, and uh, every other month, uh, when I'm not talking to my members on my website, I do a Facebook room uh, with that group. And we've had some really cool attendees. Um, uh, Chris Fussell from uh, Beijing dialed in um, two rooms ago, and it was really, really cool. So I, I think that's probably, I know I'm probably missing something, but that's that's the, the best way to get a hold of me. Um, if you go to the link tree in my bio on IG, it has everything that I do, website, Magic Makers Group, everything like that you can check out. Easy enough to find. Those of you listening to the podcast, I've got the links in the show notes. Those of you watching Instagram live, just go to my last post that has Theron tagged in there and go to his page and you'll find everything there from there. But uh, Theron, this has been so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. Thanks for joining me for over an hour. And uh, thanks to all of you for submitting (laughs) questions who are watching. Have a great evening, everybody. Had a blast. Look forward to the next time. Good night, everybody. Good night. And with that, we close out our special bonus episode of the Imagineer podcast. I want to sincerely thank Theron once again for spending so much time with us to answer all these questions about Imagineering. I hope that you found his answers to be as interesting as I did. I think that Theron is a fantastic storyteller and mentor and just has so much to offer. So I encourage you by far to make sure you check out his website and social media profiles, all of which I have linked in the show notes below. And definitely reach out to Theron if you have any other questions or if there's any other questions you would like me to ask Theron. Of course, you can reach out to me as well. Speaking of which, I would love to turn this conversation over to you and hear what you found most interesting or fascinating or maybe something you didn't know before about this discussion with Imagineer Theron Skies. You can send your answers and feedback in so many different ways. First and foremost on social media, where I encourage you to follow Imagineer Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Imagineer Podcast on Twitter at Imagineer News. And you can join our Facebook group called The Imagination, also called The Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community, to chat with me and with other members of this listener community about this subject and about all things Disney. You can also send me an, e- or an email at matt at imagineerpodcast.com. And as always, Matt is spelled with two T's, M-A-T-T at ImagineerPodcast.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, or most recently, we just joined Apple Music. So you can always ask your device, your Amazon device, to play Imagineer Podcast, and I am sure you will uh, enjoy listening to the show there or wherever you're listening to the podcast. But wherever you are listening, again, make sure to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you are the first to know when new podcast episodes become available. 
And if you would like to take your love of Imagineer podcast to the next level, make sure to look into our Patreon group, which is over at patreon.com slash Imagineer podcast. I also have a link to that location in the show notes of this episode, or you can head to imagineerpodcast.com and you'll find it there under the drop-down menu. Patreon is a way that you can help to support the show financially, and in return, you get extra special perks, benefits, and rewards. Things like early access to every podcast episode, along with access to my podcast production notes. You can see my thought process that goes into every episode. You get to join a private Facebook group just for members, as well as my close friends list on Instagram, which is another perk that is available where you can see some bonus polls and trivia questions and content on my Instagram page. So if you're loving the Instagram content and want even more, make sure to join so you get to unlock that bonus content. You can also get uh, bonus podcast episodes just for members, access to a monthly video call. There's a lot of perks that are available. You can see all of them that are currently available uh, since they are subject to change depending on when you're listening to the show. Simply again by going to patreon.com slash podcast. Of course, the best thing you could do for the show is very simple, and that's to share it out. Whether you're listening to the podcast or, I'm sorry, whether you're listening, make sure you subscribe. Um, but whether you're listening to the podcast on any podcast app, uh, and whether you share it out on uh, any social media platform or just talk about it with your family and friends. And if you, uh, even if you were to just share it out to your story or to a post or just engage with our content on social media, every share does a lot to help this podcast community out. And if you love the podcast, make sure to leave us a rating and a review in the Apple Podcast Store, which also does a lot to help this community. Be sure to look into our partners. First, check out The Kingdom Insider over at thekingdominsider.com to get the latest news about what's happening at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and other Disney destinations and how to bring the magic of Disney into your own home. The Kingdom Insider tends to share Disney news with a great flair for accuracy and uh, making sure that it is news that Disney has shared themselves. And if it is a rumor, they're pretty clear about it being a rumor. But I love how they report on the news uh, about all things Disney. And if you love Disney and are curious to see what's happening at the Disney parks, at with the Walt Disney Company, or again, even how to bring the magic of Disney into your own home, you'll want to check them out again at thekingdominsider.com and The Kingdom Insider on your favorite social media channel. And the next time you're ready to book a vacation to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, Aulani, or any other Disney destination, take a look at our travel partner and consider using them as well. They are Mickey Vacations by Academy Travel. I work with Academy Travel because they are diamond earmarked. That is the highest level of distinction that Disney awards travel agencies because they've been helping to plan Disney vacations for a very long time. They've been in business for 25 years and can really help to alleviate a lot of the stress that goes into planning a Disney vacation, especially if it's your first time ever or your first time in a long time. They're aware of how to make the most of your Disney vacation are where, and they work within your budget to provide you the best advice possible. Plus they're aware of all the discounts and perks that are available. And really the best part of this is that it's at no additional charge to you. So that's a really great way to get some free advice and truly some free support in planning your Disney vacation, uh, which is what I really love. And again, can even help to save you money. So you can request a free quote from them by clicking on the links in the show notes below or by heading to imagineyourpodcast.com, clicking on the travel dropdown and selecting your destination, which will take you to a new website, to a page, a form to fill out. 
If you fill that out, they will get back to you as soon as possible with a free quote and some advice to plan out your next Disney vacation. Last but not least, I would like to encourage you as always to go after your hopes, your dreams, your goals, whatever they might be, whatever obstacles might be in your way. See how you can overcome those obstacles. Write them down as problems that you can then brainstorm solutions. Reach out to friends and family who can help. Anything you can think of, any support you need. If there's anything I could do to help, reach out to me. But whatever you do, make sure to go after those hopes and dreams. And remember, as always, that inspiring quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you can do it. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you again in a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. Attention, space travelers. Please remain seated as your flight will continue in a moment.